0: Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, tough words as the public sector strike enters a sixth day.
1: The continues to insist on demands that are unaffordable.
0: Both the Public Service Alliance and the Treasury Board accuse each other of failing to communicate. Where do the two sides stand? Coming up, we will speak to union leader Chris Elward. Also...
2: Canadians are now told they're not even to apply for passports.
1: Negotiations are ongoing.
0: As the work stoppage enters a second week, what impact will the strike have on the services Canadians rely on? The Minister for Families, Children and Social Development, Karina Gould, will join us on the program. And...
2: There is a role for government to fix this imbalance and help ensure that passengers are protected.
0: The Transport Minister is promising amendments to strengthen the Passenger Bill of Rights. But how is the airline industry responding and will the changes prevent long delays and cancelled flights? We will speak to the Transport Minister himself. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. As public sector workers continue their nationwide strike, the language is getting heated. The union accusing the government of incompetence and both sides accusing each other of failing to communicate. The Public Service Alliance of Canada did intensify strike action today, with port workers walking off the job in a few cities. That gave the opposition fodder with which to attack the government.
2: one thing to increase the cost of the bureaucracy by 50% or $20 billion a year. It would be another to have a strike. But to do both of those things at once takes a special, unique kind of incompetence that only this Prime Minister could pull off. But the consequences are that 700 soldiers have been without heat and warm water. Canadians are now told they are not even to apply for passports, let alone get one, meaning that they will miss international weddings. Our veterans, our seniors, our small businesses, our taxpayers are all being ripped off. Now, how much are they going to have to pay to bring an end to the Prime Minister's cause strike? The Honourable President of the Treasury Board.
1: Public servants from the PSAC provide important services to Canadians and the government values their work. We are committed to reaching agreements that are fair for employees and also reasonable to Canadians. There is a competitive deal on the table, but the PSAC continues to insist on demands that are unaffordable and would severely impact our ability to deliver services to Canadians. Now Canadians can expect both parties to bargain in good faith and find compromise. That is what we are focusing on, Mr. Speaker. Merci.
0: For an update on the PSAC strike, we're now joined by the National President, Chris Aylward. Chris, thank you for coming to the studio.
3: My pleasure, Michael.
0: Listen, I want to begin here with what we just heard there from Mona Forte in the House of Commons today, essentially saying that there is right now what she considers a competitive deal on the table and that your union continues to make unaffordable demands.
3: Mm-hmm. To whom? It would be my question. Uh, workers need a fair uh, wage increase in this country. Uh, we've said all along we want to make sure that our members at least stay in line with the rate of inflation. Our members, the vast majority of our members, make between forty dollars and $65,000 a year. That's a salary that cannot suffer another rollback and that's what the Minister is suggesting. And we're saying we need to see wages uh, that are you know keep our members in line with the rate of inflation. Every single worker in this country deserves a fair and decent uh, wage increase. Uh, you know, workers in this country are fed up, as we've been saying. Uh, so, as much as yes, uh, the employer has nine percent uh, on the table, uh, we're saying, and and we've compromised on our wage uh, demand. Uh, we we've dropped uh, below thirteen point five percent over the three years, and and just to remind that. Uh, that 13.5% over the three years that we're asking for, for that same period, the rate of inflation is at 13.8%. So we believe that, again, our wage demand, which we've compromised and we've come down on, mm-hmm. uh, is still fair, decent, it's fair to workers in this country, and it will also be uh, fair to taxpayers. Because when you put more money in workers' pockets, they don't squirrel it away in some offshore bank account. They go out in their communities, and they spend that money. and. That's good for the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, workers are just fed up. Corporations are making record profits, but yet everybody wants to repress the wages of workers. And when the federal government does that, they're repressing wages for everyone in the country.
0: Okay, down from 13.5, can you say where you're at now then?
3: We've compromised. Uh, we, we've, we've lowered our wage demand because that's what you know has to happen at the uh, negotiating table. So we've compromised uh, on our wage demand and uh, we need to see uh, a, a wage offer from the government uh, that's better than the current one they currently have on the table.
0: Now, I appreciate that, that, that a strike is stressful for, for members, it's stressful in the union, certainly for the employer as well. Uh, but over the weekend, you, you called Forte incompetent. Do you regret that? Look,
3: we gave the employer on Thursday evening a comprehensive package that we thought we could get to a deal on. On Friday morning, the employer responded saying, we will, get, we will respond to this today. They didn't respond all day Friday, Friday night, Saturday morning at ten o'clock. We still not had heard anything from the employer. So yes, the, the you know the, the bargaining team members were extremely frustrated. They were waiting for the employer for more than thirty hours to respond. How can the employer explain that with over a hundred thousand uh, federal public sector workers out on picket lines, and yet they take over thirty hours to respond on one? Uh, of the issues, because that's what they had signaled. They would re- be responding on one issue. It took them over 30 hours. Yeah, the frustration level did get a little uh, high on Saturday after we had heard nothing from the employer. And then we called the, uh, the, the media scrum for one and the mediator tried to rush us in the room after waiting for more than 30 hours, then tried to rush us into a room at 1 o'clock to preempt the, uh the media scrum. So as soon as the employer had learned of our media uh, scrum mm-hmm. at 1.15, they tried to meet with us at 1 o'clock and we're like, we're sorry, we're busy, we'll meet you at 1.30. Mm-hmm. So again, yes, frustrations uh, certainly were, 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 were uh, uh, you know, uh, up there a little bit on the weekend, but as I said, you know, with a, over 100,000 of our members out on strike, we should not be waiting around for more than 30 hours for the
0: employer to respond on one issue. How are your members feeling right now? You know, when you and I spoke initially on Wednesday, you said people were feeling very supportive. But, but subsequently since then, we heard from the Labour Board, you know mm-hmm. this. They say that there were irregularities in the strike vote. They say that at the end of the day, less than 30% of members actually cast a ballot on a strike. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling uh, uh, with, about the support within your union for this job action?
3: I mean, uh, you know, as far as the, uh, the, the turnout of the members, uh, we said, after we released the results, that we had overwhelming support. The board said in that same report that there was overwhelming support for this strike. So our members, they didn't vote yes, they didn't vote no, they, they didn't go vote at all, but they're voting with their feet because they showed up last week and they showed up today uh, on the picket lines. And, and, and that's what we look to. Uh, Certainly, and some of those irregularities that the board is talking about, Mm -hmm. one of them, for example, is that when you come into a a strike vote, you have to listen to a very short presentation of about 15 or 20 minutes because we want to make sure the members understand exactly what's at stake here and they understand what we're going on strike for. So that was one of the irregularities that the board uh, had indicated. We don't think that's an irregularity. We believe that's giving our members an opportunity to have you know, a, a good understanding and make an informed decision before they vote yes or no.
0: Mm. Now, to my understanding, the last time the PSAC went on strike, uh, decades ago, it was about a three to four week strike. Uh, you have, correct me if I'm wrong here, about $200 million in your strike fund. How long can you carry on this job action for?
3: The, Michael, the, uh, the, the strike pay is not an issue. It is not a concern uh, at all for PSAC. Uh, we want the strike to end though. We, we do not want to keep uh, our members out on strike and that's why, if you know, we're asking the government to come to the table with a new mandate, sit down and negotiate uh, so that we can make some progress, end the strike for our members and end the strike for Canadians because our members uh, provide the service, of course, that they uh, depend on every day.
0: So at this point the ball is in the government's court, you
3: think? Yes, it is. Very much so.
0: So you, your last uh, offer went in at what time?
3: Uh, the, our last uh, pass was made, uh, I believe it was yesterday evening. We have uh, received nothing from the employer.
0: Okay. Uh, again, as you say, the strike pay is not there, but from your members, how long, how willing are they, are they going to be on the pickets For?
3: Yeah, look, I mean, our members, uh, you know, they, they showed up. They, they showed up when we asked them uh, last week. Uh, we're on strike again uh, today. Our members escalated their actions today. Uh, I'm sure you're going to see more escalated uh, actions uh, tomorrow. The members are there. Uh, They they understand. We have their backs to get them a good collective agreement. And obviously, they're demonstrating that they have our backs as well to make sure that we stay at the table. We fight for a fair deal that includes good working conditions and a fair and decent uh, wage increase.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Quickly losing time here, but I do want to ask you, Chris, because it's been said that going into any election, every party right now is courting the workers' vote. Worker W, not Labour L, but the workers vote. How important do you think this is for the government to settle this? Uh, how do you think members and the public will judge the government if this is not settled quickly?
3: Uh, look, I, I, I think uh, the government wants to settle uh, the, the minister, you know, in an open letter uh, laid out for the first time uh, our priority issues uh, that are still outstanding. Uh, so I think that's a, a good signal that uh, when the minister that's responsible for these negotiations lays it out in an open letter to say, here are the priorities that are still at the table, Uh, I think that's a good signal in that they want to get to a deal as well. They want to resolve these issues uh, and get to a deal, and that's what we want.
0: Chris Elward, thank you for the time.
3: My pleasure, Michael. Thank you.
0: With more on the public sector strike and how it's affecting government services, we're now joined by Karina Gould, Minister of Families, Children and Social Development. Minister Gould, thank you for joining us.
1: Happy to be here, Michael.
0: Now, last week on the first day of the strike, you noted that some services would remain, uh, those deemed essential, but to also prepare for impact. So here we are, day six. I'm wondering, how has the strike affected essential services so far?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good question and an important one. So first of all, essential services like employment insurance, the Canada Pension Plan, old age security, guaranteed income supplement and social insurance numbers continue uh, to be issued and uh, to be provided. Uh, and the government is focusing on ensuring that Canadians, uh, are their payments are prioritized. Um, But that means that there are delays in assessments or when Canadians try to contact call centres because the workforce in those areas have uh, been reduced. And really the biggest impact that we've seen is on passports because unfortunately under the law passports are not uh, considered to be an essential service in Canada except in urgent and humanitarian cases.
0: Urgent and humanitarian cases, can you give some examples of what would qualify for passport help?
1: Certainly. So it's very limited um, in this circumstance when there's a general strike that again is outlined in law. Um, So there's a couple of examples. So first of all, uh, if you are um, dependent on your livelihood to travel and require a passport to do so and would be economically disadvantaged if you weren't able to travel for work because you didn't have a passport, Um, If you need to seek medical care abroad, if uh, you have a loved one that is critically or terminally ill abroad or you have a loved one um, that unfortunately has passed away and then in some other very specific humanitarian instances.
0: So uh, now that there are PSAC workers on strike who actually can help this list of people with passports?
1: So there will be um, you know a very limited number of passport officers uh, at passport offices across the country who um, were deemed essential uh, in order to support these applications um, when during the general strike and so if Canadians do require uh, an urgent or humanitarian passport then they need to go to a passport office or a consolidated Passport Office Service Canada site, um, they can't go to a regular Service Canada because they will not accept a passport application in that situation.
0: Is that frustrating for you? You know, given all (laughs) the criticism that your department came under uh, last year for not being able to process passports in a timely manner, here you are throwing resources, getting rid of that backlog not that long ago, and now this strike, how frustrating is that?
1: Well, look, I mean, I think it's frustrating for Canadians. Um, Certainly, we respect the collective bargaining process and we respect um, the right to strike. But you know, I, I can't lie to Canadians. I have to be honest with them that you know every day that there is a strike is is a day that impacts um, service delivery to Canadians and passport being um, the one that is most affected at this point in time. And I know that you know Canadians generally support the right to strike as well, but you know they are you know certainly impacted um, by this. And for folks who you know kind of did everything right, you know, they applied ahead of time. They thought um, that they were, you know, within the time frame, of course, the strike, um, you know, really impacts their ability to travel. Um, and I think it's it's very unfortunate. Um, you know, just a couple of months ago we were able to officially announce that we had cleared through the entire backlog. So, you know, one thing that I do want to reassure Canadians on is that we're in a much different space today when it comes to the passport program than we were a year ago we have a lot more capacity in the system and so once um, the strike is over uh, you know there will likely be a little bit of delay but it won't be like what we saw last summer. Mm
0: -hmm. Now negotiations uh, negotiations are still ongoing uh, but there have been as you know some testy words exchanged over the weekend. Uh, Chris Aylward the PSAC president calling your colleague Manaforte incompetent. Uh, I'm wondering what's your reaction to that?
1: Well, look, I mean, I think it's important for both sides uh, to you know look at and focus on what's important here which I think is getting a negotiated agreement at the table. Um, certainly as a government you know we have been there the entire time and Minister Fortier has been working around the clock um, particularly over the past two weeks but long before then to try and get a negotiated agreement. There's a very generous offer on the table 9% um, over three years. Uh, you know my understanding is that the Union came with over 570 demands most of which um, have b- an agreement has been reached on those and so you know certainly I hope that just as much as the government is committed to getting this no- negotiated agreement I hope the Union is as committed so that we can um, you know reduce the impact that this is having on everyday Canadians.
0: Mr. Elward has called on the Prime Minister to to intervene directly uh, perhaps to finally get that deal over a finish line do you think that would be worthwhile?
1: Look, I have full confidence in uh, Minister Fortier on this. Um, she's been leading these negotiations and, you know, I would like to see a negotiated deal at the table, like everyone in our government. Um, and, you know, I think we we hope that the union wants the same thing. Uh, there's a good deal on offer right now. And, you know, our job is to make sure that we are at uh, respecting, fairly compensating public servants who work really hard to serve Canadians. And we appreciate that and we see that, but we also have to make sure that we're maintaining um, the public interest of Canadian taxpayers as well. And I think we have put something on the table that addresses Uh, both of those issues and certainly it's something that the Public Interest Commission has supported as well. So I really hope to be able to see an agreement come sooner rather than later. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, You know, quickly running out of time here, Minister, but, but I do wonder about pay because there seems to be some question as to who is paying striking workers right now. Are workers in your department still getting a paycheck or have those been suspended? Will pay be clawed back if paychecks are going out right now?
1: Uh, Well, that's a good question. So it will depend on the worker. So in my department, about 35% of the workers are considered essential. So they will continue to be paid uh, by the department. However, um, as of, you know, Wednesday at midnight, um, anyone who is on strike will not be paid um, by the government. Um, They will be receiving strike pay from the union.
0: Minister Gould, really appreciate the time this evening. Thank you for it.
1: My pleasure, thank
0: you. To some other stories now that caught our eye today, beginning with the upcoming coronation. We are less than two weeks away from that ceremony, but new polling out today shows two in five Canadians do not care about the coronation at all. A majority of Canadians also do not want Charles recognized as King of Canada And the Angus Reid Institute also says two-thirds of Canadians are opposed to Camilla becoming queen. Nearly half of the country says it is worthwhile to reopen the Constitution to cut ties with the monarchy altogether. I just heard earlier today that a German plane lifted off from Khartoum with one German citizen on it and 58 Canadian citizens on it. Well, that is the Prime Minister at an event with the Governor-General and the President of Germany today. It's where Justin Trudeau gave an update on evacuation efforts from Sudan. He says a C-17 is in the region preparing to airlift Canadians, the government also waiving document fees for citizens and permanent residents who want to leave Sudan. Ottawa will also let Sudanese nationals in Canada apply to have their status extended. Fighting between Sudan's army and the RSF paramilitary force has killed hundreds of civilians. Millions more are sheltering without food, water or power. And new developments on foreign interference allegations and the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation. The Auditor General will not investigate donations with potential links to the Chinese government. Karen Hogan says she has no authority to look at private funding sources nor the identity and motivation of donors. Opposition parties and the foundation itself had wanted the probe. Meanwhile, the House Public Accounts Committee has agreed to hearings on the Trudeau Foundation, but the Prime Minister and family members will not be called as witnesses. The committee is also formally asking the CRA to investigate. More than three years ago, Canada's Air Passenger Bill of Rights came into force, a set of rules that gives passengers a way of seeking compensation for delayed or canceled flights. But since its introduction in 2019, airlines have not always followed through on the compensation. So today, Omar Al-Ghabra, the transportation minister, moved to tighten the rules, saying if passed, the amendments will take the onus off of passengers to prove they should be paid and put it on airlines to prove that they don't have to pay out. Well, we're now joined by the Federal Minister for Transportation, Omar Al-Ghabra. Minister, thank you for joining us.
2: Uh, It's great to be with you, Michael. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Well, a lot to talk about here. And, you know, when you you look at these amendments, they are meant to strengthen passenger rights. It it includes things like making compensation the default position. It calls on airlines to create a process to deal with claims and to respond within uh, 30 days' time. How does that address the kind of backlogs that we've seen in
2: airline complaints? Uh, look, uh, Michael, we learned a lot of lessons from COVID and the recovery from COVID where we saw many challenges in the airline sector and we saw some vulnerabilities to the Passenger Bill of Rights that, by the way, our government introduced in 2019. And what I committed to Canadians is that to benefit from those lessons that we saw and to strengthen the Passenger Bill of Rights. Today I explained to Canadian the new rules that will be put in place that will further protect passenger. So uh, to your question about the CTA, look, the objective of these new rules is to reduce the number of grievances that passengers may have. And if airlines have a better sense of what the expectations are, they should work towards reducing the number of complaints. We're also creating incentives for airlines to avoid leaving the customer to go to the CTA for complaints so they have an incentive to settle the uh, the the grievance with the passenger before Uh, so what we're doing is we're reducing the number of complaints hopefully we're ensuring that airlines fund uh, the complaints that uh, the passengers go to the CTA for and we're simplifying the process for the CTA so the CTA is able to deal with these complaints in a much more efficient and faster way.
0: Okay but, but you know w- when we talk about the, the, the challenges that passengers have had to face I'm thinking for example most recently the, the Christmas break when we saw backlogs, we saw travel chaos, uh, weather certainly played a big part in what happened, sick calls also played a part. How would these amendments introduced today tackle the challenges that left passengers
2: stranded in airports for days? So uh, several things. Uh, First, the rules, the current rules, um, provides a justification for airlines not to pay or compensate passenger if the reason for canceling or delaying a flight was safety. But what we learned is that there was some ambiguity what that means. uh, Because some airlines said, we are short on staff, therefore we couldn't fly a plane because of safety. What we're saying, that is no longer acceptable because the airlines are responsible for managing their staff, and therefore they should have enough staff on site to manage a plane. And therefore, if a flight was canceled because of staff shortage, they should be compensating uh, passengers. Second, airlines should not be held accountable for bad weather of course and the most that they're responsible for is refunding passenger but we're defining also a standard a new service standard for airlines so for example if a weather uh, disruption occurs we're going to be setting clear expectation on the airlines what type of service they need to provide to the customer including perhaps accessed to meals or telecommunication. So we are making sure that, yes, bad weather will happen and Canadians are accustomed to this and they know that it happens, but they need to be dealt with with dignity and respect and communication.
0: Okay, I'm wondering what you've heard from the airline industry about these changes. The the amendments do put uh, this greater onus on the companies financially. How have they responded to you?
2: Uh, look, I, I mean, they, they predictably are not very happy with these new rules. Um, I would argue they should be happy because now we're being very clear about the expectations. Look, here's the thing. Currently, there is a, an imbalance of power, an asymmetry of power between the passenger and the airlines. The passenger are in total control of what happens to the passenger, uh, uh, and we're, we're seeing a lot of frustration. We are, as a government, trying to balance that asymmetry of power and making sure that passengers have recourse. If an airline, takes this to heart. They can work with us on reducing the number of complaints, on improving their performance, and therefore reducing the number of grievances and reducing the number of fines they need to pay. So that's what I suspect a successful business, any successful business, would do. And this will be good for customers, this would be good for airlines, and this would be good for our sector.
0: Okay, but does it put too much onus on the airlines, though? Because I'm thinking about Air Canada, WestJet, Sunwing. uh, They appeared before that Commons committee uh, earlier this year. They argued that other industry players need to be held accountable as well. For example, if the issue is lost luggage or delayed luggage, where does an airport's, uh, airport or airport authority's obligation lie? Or if there are delays boarding because of uh, security, where does CATSA fit in? Should other bodies be involved in compensation as opposed to just the airline
2: companies? Uh, sure, oh, Michael. Let me just be very clear. When uh, the circumstances are totally outside of the airline control, the most that the airline are responsible for is refund. Second, I acknowledge the fact that uh, other uh, other stakeholders in the sector can play a role, and that's why the budget has actually put together a plan on how we can achieve a shared accountability system. We're talking about more information, shared information, which will provide enable airlines and airports to set a new service standard where if an airport, you talked about luggage, if an airport fails to deliver a certain expectation on their luggage infrastructure, then the airline can hold the airport accountable. That's the direction that we're moving to. But let me be very clear. It's the passenger who pays the airline for a service, and the airline should be held accountable for delivering that service, especially when it's within the control of the airline.
0: Okay, so so details need to be worked out. In particular, I, I know you want to create a list of exemptions that would exempt the airline from these obligations. So how quickly will this new regime be in place?
2: Some of uh, these uh, measures will be implemented immediately as soon as the bill receives royal assent some of them will require regulatory changes that will start we actually uh, i know the cta the canadian transportation agency is starting work on it right now as soon as the bill receives royal assent the regulatory process will launch we will engage in consultation with stakeholders with consumer advocates and i'm hoping that that uh, the regulatory portion of these rules will be completed before the end of the year
0: Minister al Gabra, thank you very much for the time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. And that is our program for this Monday evening. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. We'll see you again tomorrow. Up next, Esther Béjean avec l'essentiel.